Hey, 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 what's happening? Yeah, hey, I'm glad you're here. It's good to see all your smiling faces. Um, my name is Seth. This is the Foundry, where we are all about a better you and a better world, and I'm so glad that you're here, whether you're joining us in person or to those of you at home. Hello. In the world of webs, good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, so today we wrap up our series called Think Happy Thoughts. If you haven't been here, what we've been doing is we decided six weeks ago we're not talking about all the bad stuff. <laughs> we're, we're trying to give thoughts and ideas that can give you something good to think about happy thoughts for the next couple of weeks, uh, and that's what we've been doing. So today we wrap up. Next week we begin a brand new series called A 2020 Christmas. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's going to be pretty good. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to kind of like look at the timeline of the year that we've been through and then compare it to and parallel it to some of like the difficulties of the Christmas narrative. And then hopefully in the middle of all that, we can find things like hope and peace and love and joy in the middle of the chaos. So that's the goal. That's the idea. I hope that you will make plans to be here for that. So this week we wrap up week six of Think Happy Thoughts. Um, and so I prepared a bit of an outline for us uh, so that you can follow along and so that you can know when it's almost time to go to lunch. <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy. All right, so this is the outline. It'll be on the screen as well. We're going to talk about Sir Francis Drake. We're going to talk about something that Paul said. We're going to talk about winemaking. We're going to talk about something that Paul said again, and then we're going to talk about Thanksgiving, and then we should be about done, and then you can go get your lunch. It'll be pretty, pretty good, I think. So let's start with Sir Francis Drake. Sir Francis Drake, this is what he looks like. Uh, he was born in like 1540, something like that. Uh, there's a lot of speculation and kind of uh, back and forth on was he a good guy or a bad guy. He started um, sailing, like being on ships and stuff. Grew up, was born in England, in Devon, England, 1540. He started sailing on ships when he was young. Some people say as, as young as 10 years old, he was on boats taking on some sort of responsibility, sailing all over the place. By the time he was 30, he was given his first uh, ship to captain. Um, by the time he was 37... He set sail for this major event. At the age of 37, he set sail uh, from England to circumnavigate the globe. This is the exact replica of his <laughs> ship. Uh, he set sail from, uh, from England. It took him a really long time to go around the globe, and, and he became the first Englishman to circumnavigate the globe. Now, some people, there's like debate on whether he was like more of an explorer or whether he was more of a pirate. He did a lot of great things in the name of exploration, but he did a lot of other things like bad things to the realm of humanity like, um, you know, murder, slave trading, that sort of thing. Uh, and so there, there's back and forth about what kind of character he was, but in all of his exploits, he, he ended up accumulating a massive amount of wealth. Uh, in fact, in like 2013 or so, Forbes magazine put out an article about the top 20 wealthiest pirates of all time, and he came in second with an estimated like equivalent wealth of about $113, $115 million. So he did pretty well, um, you know, like taking advantage of humans, I guess. But 
But he also did this great exploration, right? So let me show you the map of his journey, and, and we can kind of talk through this. So this is, this is how he, he made the journey. He started, you can see up there uh, near London, started in Europe. He came to like the north coast of Africa. He crossed the Atlantic Sea, uh, the Atlantic Sea, <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean, uh, down to South America, followed that all the way around, back up to the North America. Uh, some say he planted a flag, an English flag, in uh, California along his way, just to like claim... California for England, and then he made his way back up uh, uh, onto the like, Canadian area, and then back across the Pacific, through the Indian Ocean, back around Africa, and then made his way home. So he left uh, London in December of uh, 1577, 37 years old. By the time he got back, it was September of 1580. So it was like a nearly a three-year venture for him to circumnavigate the globe. That's quite a trip. That's quite a trip. That's a long way to go. This is a guy that's seen some stuff. He did some bad stuff. He experienced some stuff, and he kept his trip going. Now, there's a couple quotes attributed to a guy, uh, Sir Francis Drake. Well, I want to give you one of them that I thought was really interesting. So this is what he talks about. The guy that circumnavigated the globe, the first Englishman to do it, he says this. He says, there must be a beginning of any great matter, but it's the continuing unto the end until it be thoroughly finished that yields the true glory. There must be a beginning of any great matter, but it's the continuing of the matter until it be thoroughly finished that yields a true glory. Now, some people even suggest um, that this was actually uh, more of a prayer of his. Uh, some people would say, you know, that couldn't be further from the truth because, you know, like pirate, that sort of thing. But here's kind of the prayer form of, of the same thing. Uh, it says that when God leads us to undertake a great piece of work, he will also remind us that it is not the beginning but the continuing of the same until it be thoroughly finished that yieldeth the true glory. So this is a guy that knew something about starting a great matter. I'm going to go around the world on one ship at one trip. This was a guy uh, that knew that once you take a journey, once you begin a great journey like this, by the time you get across the Atlantic and down to South America, like, there's no point in stopping or turning around. You have to finish to complete the journey. That's where the glory is. Now, let's talk about something that Paul said. Paul, in somewhere around 60 CE, is it CE? AD? AD? Sure, yeah, that one. Um, CE? C BCE? No, CE. There you go. Uh, 60 AD, Paul writes this letter to a group of believers in a town called Philippi. It was in Macedonia, which had a heavy Greek influence, but then became like a Roman providence. And he writes to them to give them some encouragement during some persecution that they're facing. He writes to them to like thank them for their generosity. And then he writes them to address a few other matters. But he says something in the very first chapter of his letter to the people that I find really interesting, that to me is really encouraging, uplifting, and something that would be beneficial for us today. So yes, he's writing to them, but also I think there's some really deep application for us. So check out what he says, Philippians 1, 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Which actually, to me, this sounds a bit like what Francis Drake was saying, wasn't it? Like, it's not the beginning of a great matter that is the most important thing. That is important because you can't get to the end of something unless you start it, but it's also getting through to the end of it where that yields the true glory. I love this verse. It's so fascinating. It is so um, encouraging to me. This, to me, is such a huge, huge, happy thought that something good is going on within me, which means... And this is the big deal, right? Like if you're paying attention at home, if you're taking notes, this is the big deal, which means that I am in process. I'm in process. You are in process. We are all in process. And if I understand that I am in process, it means that wherever I'm at in my life, God's not done with me. Whatever it is that I'm currently struggling with, like as a person, my pride, my ego, my selfishness, my temptations, the things that I give into that are temptations, my insecurities, I don't have to wallow or dwell in the guilt and shame of these things because I know that whatever I've done, I'm not done yet. I know that something, someone is at work within me. And even though I'm not yet where I need to be, There's this process that's happening to get me where I should be so that one day I will be complete, so that one day I will stand complete upon the return of Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, but I keep screwing up. Yeah, 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 I know. It happens. But you're in process, and God's not done with you yet. Yeah, but there's this area and that area of my life that I can't seem to get a handle on. Yeah, yeah. But you're in process. God's not done with you yet. He's working on you. Yeah, but there's this particular issue that I'm really struggling with and I keep giving in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're in process. And God's not done with you yet. Wherever you're at, you're not done. You're like a, you're like a bunch of cookie dough. Not like physically. I'm not, it's not, like, it's not, not a judgment on your physicality. You're like a bunch of cookie dough in the oven that's baking and you're not done baking yet. Speaking of cookie dough, <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of cookie dough, let's talk about wine and odd transitions. Um, this is a bottle of cupcake wine. It's a Cabernet 2018. It's the finest bottle that I could find on sale at Publix, coming to you directly from Publix. Um, the thing about wine is that winemaking is a process. Winemaking is a huge process, and and I'm not the expert here, but um, I know a little bit, uh, and I know that uh, that there's so many things that go into it to make this thing happen. For example, if you were going to go out um, and start a vineyard, you're like, hey, I want to brew my own wine, whatever, and you were going to start your own vineyard, go buy some property, start planting the the grapevines, you know, grow them, and then go through the whole process, it would take about three years after you planted the grapevines themselves to get ready to harvest. It would take like a couple of days, a couple of weeks of harvesting, depending on how big your vineyard is. And then it would take like a month of this primary fermentation process, and then like a little bit longer after that. And then if you were to go into the aging process, it would take a little bit longer after that. And really, to get to your first bottle of wine, you're looking at like three, or like four, five, six years before you ever get that first bottle of wine, right? You've heard the expression, um, 
like uh, wine gets better with time, right? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. The, the truth is it, it really depends on what you're going for. It depends on the grapes. It depends on um, what you're trying to accomplish. White, white grapes aren't aged uh, the way that red grapes are. And even with red grapes, the red grapes, um, depending on what you're trying to accomplish with the flavor and the textures and all this stuff, um, you really, on, on most red wines, you don't want to let them age more than five or six years because they'll oxidize and then it'll go bad. But if you get a really nice bottle of wine and you take care of it, you bottle it properly and handle the bottle properly, it can last 10 years, maybe even 20 years, and it will actually get better with that aging process. So there's this whole long process of getting the, you know, from, from the vine to the grapes all the way to, to the bottling process. Now, not only is that a process to get it there, but there's processes within the process, right? There's the, the fermentation process. There's the aging process. The fermenting process, uh, they have a primary part, which takes about a month. And then what happens is they, the, the winemakers add this yeast, which is like this living single-celled organism. They add the yeast to the grape juice, and then that that yeast converts the sugars in the grape juice into the alcohol. And as the alcohol level rises in the fermentation process, the yeast begins to die and then will settle at the bottom of the vat that they're holding it in, right? There's this like complex chemical reaction that's happening within the wine to get it to where it is. Then after the fermentation process, it will go to the aging process. They will take that wine that's already fermented and then put it into uh, barrels or whatever and, or bottles, and then they will let it sit and they will take care of it as it goes along the way. And when it goes through the aging process, um, initially the wine will have a, a like a, uh, when it's younger, it will have a primary, a few primary flavors that you can taste. But as it begins to age and develop, those colors and textures and flavors will change along with it. There was a guy, uh, one of the winemakers I was reading about this week, he said, you know, wine is not a product, but rather it's a living process. It's this living process. And so if I open this bottle now, it will have a different flavor now than it would have several months ago because it will continue to develop and move as this, it's like taking this journey. So wine is never fully developed. It's never fully done. It keeps this process going for quite some time. So you are kind of like this bottle of wine, that there's something working in you. There's this process happening in you, and there's some things that when you were younger, you might not have understood or figured out, or you may have acted or thought you've gotten older. This thing is working in you, and you're, are we cutting out here? You're, you have begun to develop and mature and change along the way. It's all a part of the process. Wine is dynamic. It's never static. You are not static. You are dynamic. There's always something going on within you that you will continue along on this journey. Now, let's go back to this thing that Paul said. So Paul says this thing in, first, uh, in Philippians 1.6, and he says this. Let's look at it again. He says, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the time that Paul's writing this, there's this really interesting thing that happens. And what we, there, there's this really big thing that we miss just under the surface of what Paul says here because it gets completely lost in the translation. 
okay? It comes down to two key words in this passage, the word began and the word completion. Uh, here they are in the Greek text. The word for uh, began is inarchistai. The word for completion is epitaline. Now, you have to remember, there was a heavy Greek influence at this time to the people he's writing to. And so, one of the things that was associated with the Greek rituals and their sacrifices to their gods is they would have a particular um, sacrifice to, to, to worship and honor their gods. And what they would do is they would take like a big torch and they would light it on fire. And then this torch was considered to be the sacred flame. And they would take this sacred flame and they would dump it into a bowl of water on the altar that they were using. And that was in order to cleanse the water they would take this water then, and they would sprinkle it on the sacrifice, on the offering. They would sprinkle it on the people around them that were there to make everything holy, to prepare it to, like, complete the sacrifice. Once they sprinkled the water on the sacrifice and the people, they would go into a moment of silence, and the people would pray to their God, their gods. They would take that time to honor and to thank their gods. Then they would bring out this basket and this bowl of barley, and they would take some of the kernels from that, and they would sprinkle that on the offering, and they would sprinkle that around the altar. Once they had gone through that process of the torch and the water and the barley, they would have this technical term that they would use to describe the beginning of that process, which is enarchthesai, which is the word that Paul uses for began when he said he began a good work in you. Now, after they would do that, after they would go through the whole sacrificial process, when everything was done exactly how it was intended to be, when, when everything went exactly according to plan, they would have this other word that they would use to describe what had happened at the end of the sacrifice, which is epitaline, which means finished. After they had done everything according to plan, after everything the sacrifice had been taken care of, the offering was done, everything had gone perfect, they would say that it's been, it's been finished, and they would use this word. And this is the word that Paul uses when he says that he who began in Archthesi a good work in you will carry it on to completion, epitaline, until the day of Christ. It's really kind of interesting. So the way that Paul is writing this whole thing is through the picture and the lens of this sacrificial ritual that the people would have been familiar with. It's written through the lens of preparing an offering to the gods. Again, the idea being that you are going through this process. You are being prepared as this holy sacrifice, this holy offering. You then become the gift that is being presented when Jesus returns. Oh, and by the way, this word, um, epitaline, its root word is teleos or uh, teleo, which is the same word that Matthew uses in Matthew 5.38 when he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word is actually teleos, which is complete. Be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. A lot of times I think many Christians get tied up into this idea that our goal is perfection, but what Matthew is saying is, no, the goal is to be like your father who is complete. So when you look at this sacrifice, when you look at this whole concept and everything that Paul is saying, there is this thing that has started within you that's moving you somewhere. It's moving you towards completeness. It's moving you to this place where you will step more fully into the image of the God who is complete that you have been created in so that you will be complete so that you will be prepared as this offering for when Jesus returns. 
right? So you, my friends, you are in process. You are in process. This is a happy thought. This is good for us to remember. This is, to me, so very encouraging with everything that we're talking about, that you are like this explorer, that great work has started in you. You've set up on this trip, and whether you're in the Atlantic or the Indian or the Pacific Ocean, right, you're in process. You're on the journey. And some days your ship may run aground, and some days you may have the wind at your back, and your sails may be full, and you may be really cruising. But either way, you're still in process. You are like this fine bottle of wine on sale from Publix. You are like this fine bottle of wine that there is something happening within you. You are this dynamic being that God is working through and you are growing and maturing each and every day. And you are like this sacrifice, this offering that's being prepared. This thing has started within you and it's going through the process until one day it will be complete. Now, let's talk about Thanksgiving, because why not? It's here. It's upon us. Thanksgiving this year, uh, that's what this is for, the pumpkin pie. Um, I'm assuming my wife is planning on making something. I don't know. We don't eat pumpkin pies very often. Um, this year might be a little different, might be a little weird, you know, the whole, uh, like, coronavirus thing happening. Maybe you're gathering this year like normal. I don't know. Maybe you're gathering, but you're having conditions on your gathering. Half the family has to stay outside. I don't Maybe you're gathering virtually. Maybe you're not gathering at all. You know, it's okay. But the idea of Thanksgiving, regardless of the history of the holiday, what, all of that stuff, the idea is that we take a moment here, right? We take a moment to pause, to reflect, to think, to give thanks for our life, our family, our friends, our faith, our freedoms that we have in our country. We want to give thanks for all that. That's an incredible thing to take, to take part of. But my guess is, if this year has been like any other year, depending on how you're gathering, is that anytime you gather a bunch of people together, there's usually going to be a mixture of like thoughts and ideas. There may be even different opinions. There may be even different opinions on like, you know, the election something like that. There may be some laughter, there may be some drama, there may be some tension. Even in the best of families, it's very easy for things to go off the rails a little bit, you know? Uh, for example, let's say this Thursday, you know, my wife and I get up and we're playing with the kids or whatever and the kids are being in a weird mood and we get stressed out because the kids are in a weird place. And then we go to my parents' house for Thanksgiving lunch or dinner or whatever and then my mom says something to me and then I'm rude to her but it's not really because of her, it's because of my kids because I'm still carrying that thing from earlier and then it hurts my mom's feelings and then my brothers and sisters show up and then they get upset because they see mom's upset but it's because something I said so now they're upset with me and it's all because of my kids, <laughs> right? Stuff can go sideways really easy. Sometimes it's not even like, it's nothing, it just, it just kind of happens. And, and right now, especially, there's, there's a lot of things that could cause, uh, you know, cause some tension within the family. There's a lot of things that, that uh, a lot of hot button issues that could come up. You know, it's possible that you could go to your Thanksgiving dinner and uh, a pro-Trump person could be sitting across from a pro-Biden person. It could be possible that you show up to your Thanksgiving dinner and a pro-masker is sitting across from an anti-masker. Although, probably not, because the pro-masker probably wouldn't show up anyways. 
They, they would be Skyping in or something. It's possible that you could be sitting across somebody with a completely different opinion about everything, about the world. Uh, and unless you guys like all decide ahead of time, hey, we're only gonna talk about like golf. That's the only thing we're talking about this year is golf at the Thanksgiving dinner. It's possible that you could be walking into like this virtual minefield of conversations. And it's possible that somebody could intentionally trigger one of those minds or maybe even intentionally trigger one of those minds and the whole thing could go off the rails a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know about family tensions, experiencing family tensions around family gatherings? Anybody know how quickly... A family dinner can go sideways. Anybody ever experienced these things? Like family gatherings are incredible. They're great. They're such a huge blessing. But they also have this high potential for disaster. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? You feel me? Uh, now, here's where thought comes into play that I think is really important. This whole idea, this everything we're talking about. This is why this is such a happy thought to me. And this is why I love this idea. This is such a good thing for you to understand. And this is such a great thing for us to understand for the people around us. Um, and this extends, obviously, like way beyond Thanksgiving dinner. It's just that's the thing that's in front of us. Let's look at this verse again, right? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So there is this thing going on within you. It's already started, but it's not done yet. You are in process, right? So when Paul says he, obviously he's talking about God. He has begun this good work in you. This is something that God has done. The work, and I believe the thing that's going on within you that's good that he has started is his grace. So there is this grace that's working and working and working within you, which is this incredible thought. This, this to me is this incredible thought that grace is not done with you. And what I love about this is that this whole passage, it's like entirely about you and entirely not about you. Yes, there's this thing going on in this process, and there is this thing that's like happening behind the process because you are not the one driving the whole thing. He began the good work in you. He is the one that begins it. He is the one that starts the process. He is the one that initiates the process of grace within you. He began the good work in you, and he will be the one who carries it on to completion. The one who initiates the whole thing is the one that will see it through. So it's not something that's really, it's, it's not up to you. It's not your doing. It's something that's being done within you. God initiates, and then God is faithful to carry it out. Here's why this is great, because God is faithful Right? The scripture talks off a lot about this. Look at this. Psalms 119 says this, talking about God's faithfulness. It's just one of many passages. Psalms 119, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. And the, uh, you establish the earth and it endures. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God initiated the good work of grace within you. You are in process, and God is faithful to carry that good work out till its completion. You see, so what's so great about this is when it comes to your thoughts and your views of you, and when it comes to your thoughts and your approaches to others, you know, like at Thanksgiving, at family, at work, at, like the key to all of it is this understanding of the process of grace. 
when you understand that you are a person in process, it may help you to understand that they, whoever they are is in your life, they might be in process as well. And I think Jesus said this thing one time about like loving your neighbor as yourself, right? So if I want to be shown grace because I understand that I mess up and I understand that I'm in process and I understand that I don't always get it right and I need people to be gracious to me, then maybe I should be willing to show grace to the people around me who are at their own stages of their own processes. And when you understand that you are in process, and it's a process of grace that will be carried out by the one who initiated the process, it may mean that I can even give myself a little bit of slack, right? It seems like so many people are so very difficult, so very hard on themselves. So many Christians are so very hard on themselves. It's almost like we've come to believe that guilt and shame are a part of my primary identity. And if I don't continually feel guilt and shame about who I am, then I'm doing something wrong. And so what this says to me is that even when I fail, even when I mess up, even when I stumble, when I fall, when I make a terrible mistake, when I sin, when I miss the mark, that even when that is a thing in my life, if I understand that I'm in process and the grace of God is working in me to move me to maturity, that even when I mess up, yeah, you know, that, that was not good. That stinks. I'm going to repent about that. I'm going to seek forgiveness on these things. But I'm not going to dwell there. I'm not going to carry that with me moving forward. Because that thing that I did, that mistake that I made, is not, it does not define me. Because I am in process. And he's not done with me. He's still working on me. And then when you can take that idea and first apply it to yourself, because that's where it starts, love your neighbor as yourself. If you can love yourself that way first, understand I'm in process, maybe give myself a little bit of a break. If I can understand that, then it might allow me to apply that to others, that they are in process as well. They may have been rude to you and mean to you. They may have lied to you. They may have done this, that, and the other thing to you. They, they may have gone behind your back. They may have, you may think they will never change. Maybe you can't believe that they didn't show up to Thanksgiving dinner because of their uh, fear of a virus. Or maybe you're on the other side of that and you can't believe they're gathering for Thanksgiving dinner because there's a virus. Maybe the key to surviving all of it, the Thanksgiving gathering or the non-gathering, is to accept and understand that just like you, they, whoever they are, they are also in process. So when your dad, your uncle, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your grandpa, your grandma, whatever, when somebody in the family and somebody in the gathering uh, stands up this Thanksgiving and they begin a pro-whatever rant that you may completely disagree with, kind of disagree with, that you may never, ever be on board with, take a breath. Take a breath. It's okay. 
they're in process. Give them a little grace. They may be really early on in the process, <laughs> but they're in process. Or when you find yourself doing something that you knew you shouldn't have, maybe you, you know, you're thinking something, saying something, take a breath. Take a breath. Remember, you're in process. Now, it's, this isn't an excuse to say, well, it just is what it is. No, no, no. Like, you, you still have to deal with that mistake. You still have to deal with that sin. You still have to deal with that. But you can move on from it because you're in process. Maybe that needs to be like our mantra for like from now through Christmas into 2021. Like, I'm in process, you're in process. I'm in process, you're in process. And you just keep repeating that every day so that when you mess up, you know, okay, I'm in process. And when they mess up, you go, okay, well, they're, they're in process. I'm going to cut them, cut them a little bit of a break. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day, to completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, he's still working on you. Now, when I was four or five, six years old, um, my dad was a youth minister over like near Clearwater area, and we used to do a singing duet at the church, and we would sing this song, He's Still Working On Me. Have you ever heard this song before? He's Still Working On Me? Um, really cute little song. I, I don't remember, I mean, I remember the song. Uh, the thing that I remember more about those times was the trauma that I went through, not of the singing, but of the outfit that my mom put me in. Because, uh, so we would go to church and there was one particular outfit. So it was overalls, okay, that were white, that were shorts. Thanks, Mom. It was cute then, Seth. Tall socks, you know, that sort of thing. And then, like, if that wasn't special enough, uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, I had, like, a real chubby face and pretty dark straight hair. I'm pretty sure I had a haircut that was reminiscent of, you know, Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber, where it was just like the bowl cut trim, you know what I'm talking about? So it was like double the specialness. So, uh, so I get up and sing My dad would play the guitar, and um, then we would take turns singing back and forth, and everyone thought it was real cute. So I thought it'd be fun if we reenacted that today. Do you guys want to hear it? Dad! I'm just kidding. We didn't, we didn't set that up. <laughs> I did have the thought, though, it would be really funny if I, like, recreated the whole scene and got some white, short overalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe next year. Maybe that'll be your Christmas gift. You show up on Christmas. We'll, we'll work on that. Uh, so we would sing this song, and it's this really cute little song, but I was looking back through it this week, and it's, it's this really beautiful kind of poem of a song. I mean, it's for kids, but it's really incredible. I thought, man, it's so perfect for what we're talking about today. So I want to show you the lyrics and kind of read through this with you. Take a look at this. He's still working on me. Sing it. <laughs> <laughs> to make me what I need to be, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and how patient he must be because he's still working on me. And then the first verse would go like this. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge him yet because there's an unfinished part. But I'll be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. And then you would repeat that chorus. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. 
It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and how patient he must be because he's still working on me. My friends, I want you to know this today. Whether you're the explorer, the wine, the sacrifice, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion. He began the work and he will see that work through. You are in process. And so wherever you're at today, whatever your journey, whatever your struggle, whatever place in life, whatever highs and lows you may be experiencing, you are not done yet. And there is still something going on within you. And it will continue to go on within you until you resemble the one whose image you were created in. Be complete as your heavenly father is complete. He's not done with you yet. And that, my friends, is a happy thought.